Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I am here with Cherie L. Prince. Hi, how are you, Cherie? Hi, Angela. I'm great. Um, So Cherie L. Prince is an attorney and asset protection coach who teaches entrepreneurs how to merge their business plan with their estate plan to create a moat around their assets. For over a decade, she has taught, led, and counseled entrepreneurs at every phase of their business. Cherie has the keen ability to deliver uncommonly original and useful tools in a dynamic and engaging way. Well, this is exciting because I think that's one thing that we all can agree on is how do we protect our business and protect our assets? Am I right? Definitely. I mean, that's the one thing as an entrepreneur that, you know, we're so focused on our business, you know, the, the what about our business. And so, you know, I am an electrician. I own a security company. Like the the what do we do? But we're not really thinking about the the bigger picture of it, which is asset protection. You know, how do you protect yourself? Um, and how do you, like you said, create a moat around your business and your assets? So let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think is? Um, talk to me about an estate plan and what what it is and what the value is. So an estate plan is basically a plan for how your business and personal assets will transfer when you pass away. And the biggest mistake that I see entrepreneurs make is just not having a plan at all. So there are a couple of different things that I do when I kind of talk to people about the value of having an estate plan. Usually you will have a will or a trust. Okay. And, you know, both of those things are decided during your lifetime. Now, in the event that you have neither, the government has a plan on how your assets are to transfer. And you never really want the government to make decisions for you. You can make them during your lifetime. So that's the biggest reason that is important because you want to make sure, especially if you have minor children, Mm -hmm. a business partner, a charity that you want to contribute to after your death, it's really to have a plan. And that's the very first and most important thing to do. And that plan may start with a will or trust, but you have ancillary documents like a healthcare power of attorney, a living will. You may have a durable power of attorney if you become incapacitated during your lifetime. Okay. And, um, you know, those are some of the things that form your estate plan. Okay. So is an estate plan and a trust, is that something that just an individual has or can a business have that as well? Okay. Great question. When you merge your estate plan with your business plan, what you do is you look at everything holistically Okay. because you may have great business attorneys that have your business structure set up, but say you have a partner and something happens to you. Mm. Well, it may not be so clear what rights your spouse or your children may have when you pass. So what does that do? It may set your partner up for litigation with your family. Mm. So Definitely. Part of what I do, when you build a mode, build a mode around everything that you have, but you have to start with your personal assets and your family structure, and then you kind of mirror that on the business side to make sure that everything is together. 
That makes so much sense. So as as a an entrepreneur, um, you know, one of the things that I have to deal with as a you know sole owner of my company is anytime I'm going after, you know, an investor or a loan or something like that, they want to know you know, what I call it my, what if I get hit by a bus policy, right? Like I have no intention of anything happened to me. I have no intention of, of, you know, passing away or anything, but things happen and they just want to make sure that they're going to be taken care of and that you're, there's a, a plan in place. So is that what this is really set up for is making sure that all of those kind of the I is dotted and the T is crossed? That is definitely a part of it. What some people do is they throw insurance at it. Like, you know, I'll just get coverage for this. So if something happens to me, mm -hmm. um, you know, this person is insured. Kind of like event insurance. Like the, mm -hmm. if there is a an act of God or something and you can't have the event, you have insurance. Well, in your business, you need something similar, but insurance is not always the answer. Mm. A lot of it deals with, you know, great contracts, great communication. And just like raising a child takes a village, Building a business, maintaining a business takes a village. Yeah. So who's a part of your village? You should already have an insurance agent. That mm -hmm. person should be in communication with your accountant who may or may not be a tax planner or tax preparer. And so depending on the type of industry that you're in, you may have other people on your team who are helping you build and maintain your business. That makes sense. Okay. So then you would be creating basically a bridge between, you know, um, you have your family, you have your bankers, you have your, your insurance agents, and it's just linking them all together into one strategic plan. Is that right? Definitely. Um, because what will happen if these people are working in silos and they're mm -hmm. not communicating, I bet you there are things that you're missing that can benefit you. Yeah. There have been times that I've worked on a team and somebody's overinsured. You know, they're oh, wow. thinking, I'll just, yeah, they're thinking, I'll just increase my insurance. Well, uh -huh. what, if we, what if we restructure your company and take some of the risk away with this company and shift it over here? So now you have lower premiums. What can you do with that money that you're saving? You can put it back into your business. Yeah, that that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you can listen to an insurance agent and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, you need X amount of dollars. But if you talk to an attorney, that might be different, correct? They might be able to have a different strategy and saying, you know, yes, you need this much insurance, but we also have these other protections built in place. Exactly. Okay. Very cool. So as an entrepreneur, what other ways can I protect my business and my family? One big thing, and this happened to me personally, quick story. My very first business was an epic fail. Wow. I was 20, yeah, I was 21 years old. And, you know, I'm going to use widgets as an example. Mm -hmm. My partner and I were great at making widgets. Mm -hmm. And we had a handshake deal. Well, his home life was not the greatest. So his wife showed up at our office one day and said, well, he's no longer your partner. I'm taking over his portion of the business. Wow. Yeah, wow. lady. Lady, I don't know you, and I don't like you. Mm -hmm. So we dissolved the company because I did not want to be in business with his spouse. Yeah. Um, so it really taught me a lesson. This is way before I went to law school. It taught me a lesson that I need a solid operating agreement and other contracts when I enter into a partnership. And so now the term that I use is a titanium operating agreement. And what's titanium? 
Yeah. You know, it's strong, it's durable, and it has all the terms, the ifs, ands, and buts, and it also contains what's called a spousal consent, which okay. basically says that the spouse of your partner will consent to whatever you and the and your partner agree to without contesting it in court. So it's kind of, you know, there are lots of things you can do, but I learned that lesson the hard yeah, really. Well, those are all the best lessons, right? The ones that we have to learn the hard way, but we never make those again. And so one of the best things we can do is learn from other people's mistakes when that does happen. Like I'm I'm so quick to share my lessons learned so that other people don't have to go down that path. I had a similar situation where I was um, partnered with somebody and we had no agreement. We had nothing in writing. And um, one day she just decided, you know what? My husband doesn't like them spending so much time away from home because we had an, uh, an, an event company that required us on, you know, evenings and weekends to be available. And she says, so I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I just thought to myself, well, this was never set up for a one person operation. Like the burden that it then put on me to do everything was intense. And, and at the time it was a part-time business for us. So like I worked a full-time job. So it was either, you know, quit my full-time job and dive headfirst into running a company or shut down the company because it was just not sustainable for, for us to, to do what we, you know, to do it with one person. So it's quite a challenge, but you're right. Those written agreements can make or break your company. Yeah, think of it like a prenup, you know, mm -hmm. because a partnership is a marriage, is a form of a marriage. You are, yep. or your name, your goodwill, your finances, your time. Sometimes you spend more time in work than you do at home. Yeah. So you have something in place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about, um, uh, estate planning for a business owner because you know there's there's a running it's not a joke it's 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 really kind of truthful but a lot of people say an entrepreneur's business is their retirement plan because so many of us will cash out our retirement plan to start a business right and so that cushion that we've we've spent our career building then becomes part of our business right so we'll cash out our 401k or our, our IRA so that we can then start our business and and fund it so then we're left with, with, you know, no 401k, no IRA. So how does a business protect itself? Um, you know, or how does an entrepreneur protect themselves when they, when they do go to, you know, retire someday? So I'm going to borrow a concept from Stephen Covey. Begin okay. with, yeah, begin with the end in mind. So okay. you're taking what would have been your retirement and you're putting it into your business. Mm -hmm. So you need to plan for an exit. And so when people think about an exit, it's mm -hmm. not always that you're going to sell your business. You need to plan for any exit. An exit may be um, a dissolution of a partnership. What happens to my investment? Mm -hmm. It may be a bankruptcy or a restructuring. What happens to my investment? It could be that you do sell it or, or a portion of it. Mm -hmm. What happens to my investment? And it could be that you license either the name, the property, or the goodwill you have to have a plan for that initial investment so that you do have an exit strategy. So anytime I'm working with the business, once we get past the personal side and we dialed in all the information you need to know about your personal finances, you mm. have your estate plan together. Then the very first thing we do before we even talk about the metrics and the numbers, what is your goal? Mm. You know, we talk about 
the exit plan. So what does your exit look like? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot because so many people think it's just going to go forever, right? Like we're not thinking exit because, you know, at the end of the day, this is what we love doing. We've started this company and this is our livelihood. And, you know, when you start a corporate job, you're not necessarily thinking about an exit strategy. So, you know, as a business owner, though, you really do. You really have to understand that anything can happen and, you know, you need to plan for the future. And part of that, too, is choosing the right business entity when you start the company. Yeah. Because, you know, depending on the industry, you may be um, a sole proprietor. And so you have no yeah. legal protections. What happens to your business if you get a divorce? Mm. So what is your spouse entitled to? And everything's associated with your Social Security number. You know, what if there are issues with credit, you know, there are times that you may have a two-income household and mm-hmm. that's great, you cover everything, but now you're divorced and you mm-hmm. have all of the expenses for one person, it impacts your business. So with the end in mind, it's just something to definitely take into consideration. Absolutely. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and talk about um, when you started your business, because you you were pursuing an MBA and then you were you also went to law school. So, I mean, you have this really great toolbox of knowledge. I mean, I'm sure you you are an incredible asset to any business that you come in contact with just because of, you know, you're really, you have a vast understanding of not just law, but also business. So what encouraged you to come down this path? A series of hard knocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, um, and a lot of people have heard the story. My mom passed away when I was 16. Mm. And my entire life, I just remember her being sick. So around the time I was 13, she went into a nursing home and eventually mm-hmm. passed away at the age of 36. So who <sighs> thinks at 36, you need long-term care insurance, yeah. that you need to name a guardian for your minor children? that you need a way for your children to be supported when you pass away. So yeah. we were kind of shuffled around and I ended up with my grandparents, my mom's parents. Mm-hmm. And I lived on a farm for a few years. Every summer, you know, we picked the crops and did all the things, rode the bicycles. It was a great time. I had great grandparents. Yeah. But fast forward, they passed away. And the 100 plus, 150 plus acre farm they had, now, with them dying without a will or a trust, I have aunts and uncles who are debating who gets what. Mm. The answer is the government has already decided who gets what. It's really not up for debate. Um, and so we really had a breakdown in our family unit. And that was the first light bulb mm. that, you know, I need to know more. I have a desire to figure this out because I cannot, my brother and I cannot be the only people dealing with this problem. Right, so, right. Fast forward, I'm 21, my first business, same thing. I am not the only person dealing with this problem. Mm -hmm. So I went to grad school first to really understand business. Like, you know, I'm not going to make these same mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do law school, but at this time I had two kids. And um, my son was actually six months old when I was in law school. And it was tough. Wow. Yeah, I knew that I wanted something different. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to help other people. And so... Here I am. Wow, that's amazing. What a story. So so you 
oh, wow, you you lived so much life before you ever even became an adult. It's it's wow. That's definitely I can see where the correlation is in terms of like the life lessons you had at a very young age, correlating then into how you've decided to pursue business and law to help others. So that's amazing. Well, and that's just the cliff notes. I don't mm-hmm. we have the series to give you all the hard knocks, but it's right. those wow wow so so then you start figuring out how to protect entrepreneurs which I love that because a lot of people think about entrepreneurs and there's so many businesses out there that are trying to sell things to us and trying to get you know get us to pay for things and you know like there's several IT companies that I swear I every single day I'm telling them please stop calling me like I, I promise I don't need your services but but something like this is genuinely helpful. You know, when you're talking about legal frameworks and safeguards and wills and trusts and, you know, ways to protect your assets, it's so important. So so tell me a little bit more about when you started going down the path of protection of legal assets, um, what made you go into the estate planning version of it? Because that's not normally something that I would think um, when I think of businesses, I don't think of estate planning. And so, but you knew enough from your experiences with your grandparents to know that the two are very interrelated. So I became a parent, mm-hmm. you know, the mama bear came out. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at my life, you know, my mom was great, you know, to the, to the extent she could be with her health, her declining health. Yeah. She was a great mother. And I had no doubt that if she had still been with us, you know, I would have seen her do greater things and give me more hugs, kisses, and loves than ever. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do that for my children. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that there was a moat around my assets. So, you know, something happens to me, I can, you know, this interview can conclude and I get hit by a bus. All the things that I did not have, Mm -hmm. I had set up for them. And, you know, kind of once I worked out a model, it started to scale and it's, you can replicate it. Mm-hmm. So if I can do this for me, I can do this for other people and it applies to anyone. It does not matter your level of wealth, your age, what country you live in. Mm-hmm. There are some basic concepts to put in together an estate plan to take care of you personally and build a moat around your business. Yeah. So what would be the first two steps that you would tell somebody to do as an entrepreneur? Okay. One, there is like a three-part exercise. Um, I call it the three eyes. And at some point, it'll be more fancy. I'll name it something, but it's really yeah. <laughs> easy to remember. Um, one, you have to identify your assets. Mm. You'd be amazed at people that just buy stuff. Hmm. You know, they just, they just buy stuff. Okay, I bought an island. I have five cars. And Right, right. Then you have to inventory your assets once you identify them. And when I say inventory... You have two columns, personal and business. Well, if you are a solopreneur or a sole proprietor, you may be commingling those assets. You know, maybe you have a truck that you purchase in your personal name because you have great credit and you don't have business credit yet, but mm-hmm. you're using it in your business. Well, the type of insurance you need for that vehicle changes because of the risk, you know, with your business. And so once we inventory those, the third thing that we do is we improve the classification. So if it was purchased with personal funds but being used in the business, 
We try to reclassify it and we work with your team to shift the insurance, maybe shift the payment structure. Should we have, you know, should it have been a vehicle that could have been, we could have run out the entire cost of the vehicle versus certain types of depreciation. And so okay. we talk with the team to improve that classification. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing is, does your estate plan mirror any business documents, whether they are operating agreements or any other agreements that you have? So as you take out your business interest, you know, has that been reflected in your estate plan? And third thing, I know you're asking for a couple. Yeah, yeah. Third thing is, <laughs> treat it like an annual physical. Mm. At least once a year, you're going to check in with your team. You know, just like if you're going for your annual wellness checkup. Okay, I'm going for my annual asset checkup. And I'm just going to look at what I have. And it's really mm -hmm. easy to do because I already have this list. You know, maybe something needs to be crossed off. Something needs to be added. But those are the basic things you can do um, that are inexpensive. And you're spending the time anyway. So let's, you know, be more productive. You know, that makes so much sense because I think a will and an estate plan and all of these things, they become something that you do once and then you check the box and you say, okay, it's done. I don't have to do it again, you know, but it's not true because things develop at, at in time. And so every year that might, that might change, you, you gain more assets, you might, you know, you, your business might transform, you might get a partner, you might have loans, you might have investors. And so there, there is a lot of validity to that because because, you know, I remember looking at my will after I had done it a while ago and I looked and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't even recognize this stuff anymore. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it has to be something that you're really paying attention to and you're revisiting on an annual basis. And can I share a, a real life example with you? Please. When Kobe passed away, his youngest daughter was not a part of his trust. His wow. wife had yeah, his wife had to go and petition the court to have her added to the trust. Now, of course, you know, Kobe meant to provide for all of his children, mm -hmm. but it was probably something that he just did not get around to. Mm -hmm. She was young, I how young she was, maybe under two, maybe mm -hmm. under a year old. But even at that time, he had not added her to the trust. So, you know, while the family is grieving him, his wife still has to make sure that the rest of the kids are taken care of. Wow. And you know, that's just one of those things that even though you have an annual mm -hmm. appointment, check in quarterly. You know, if you have a new child, you get a divorce, you get married, you mm -hmm. take on a new business partner or business interest. You know, once you develop those relationships, sometimes as simple as sending an email to your business manager, your accountant, hey, mm -hmm. this just happened. What action do I need to take? Yeah, that's brilliant. Absolutely. All right. So, um, so tell me a little bit about who inspires you, because I mean, you're, you're definitely out there helping businesses all over. And um, so I'm just curious about who inspires you. There are so many people. Uh, I really don't know where to start. Yeah. I think I, get, I think I get the most inspiration from the wonderful entrepreneurs that I work with daily. And mm -hmm. I have a podcast and my podcast talks to entrepreneurs and gives them resources. Mm -hmm. And so every single episode, I'm meeting with someone that I normally would not cross paths with at the grocery store. Yeah. And we're talking about things that interest not only me, but other business owners and entrepreneurs. And it blows my mind. Yeah. Um, it just, it really does. 
And prior, you know, pre-COVID, I had not logged in so many hours on Zoom. Mm-hmm. But now Zoom is my new best friend. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so really, uh, just other entrepreneurs. Zoom mm-hmm. was Mm-hmm. Because if somebody can do it, you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I love everyone's stories. And, and we were talking prior to the podcast about this, that stories that people share with, with me are so inspiring. And it just kind of keeps me focused on why I'm doing what I'm doing, because we get so ingrained in the what we do, and we're not thinking about, you know, how it impacts anyone else. And so, yeah, I love, I was saying my podcast is the most expensive hobby that I have, because I just keep reinvesting back into it. I just love it. It's just something that it brings me so much joy, um, talking to amazing women like you and, and hearing your story and, you know, having you share your expertise with our audience, because there's just so much value in your story and your expertise. Well, likewise, um, I was sharing with my accountability partner because I have people that I check in with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. That um, I recorded an episode yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was literally laughing out loud. We were having the best time. Uh-huh. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of editing on that on that episode, but it's yeah. It's a great hobby and a labor of love as well. It really is. It is a labor of love. It is something that I just, I look forward to. I think to myself, how can I fit this into the day? But then when I do it, I'm so grateful and I'm so energized um, that I had, you know, the ability to have a conversation with someone, like you said, that I wouldn't normally run into in a grocery store. So there's just so much that so much um, inspiration that comes from it. So, so kind of pivoting back to um, entrepreneurialism and some of the things that we do as entrepreneurs, what are some common mistakes that you've seen or oversights that entrepreneurs make when it comes to asset protection and how can we avoid them? One of the biggest mistakes is being undercapitalized. Mm, yes. We, we believe because we are creative and we're great at what we do that we yep. can just start a business. Yep. And we don't have any projections. We're not watching our numbers. And when you are undercapitalized, what happens, even if you have insurance, but you don't have money set aside to pay the deductible? You know, there's still mm-hmm. risk out there. You mm-hmm. put your business at risk. Um, and so that is the biggest thing when you're talking about building a moat. So there are exercises that I work with people on in terms of looking at their insurance policies. What are your deductibles? Do you have at least, you know, two times that in a reserve account in case you have a claim? Yeah. What would happen if you don't have that in a reserve account? Um, combining policies, you know, changing things like that. So definitely, number one, undercapitalization. And two, not having those agreements. Yeah. Um, because when you don't have those agreements, now you get into in a partnership situation, perhaps. Who owns the IP? Yeah, who yeah. owns the name? And you know, this second part of it is not such a big thing now, but the phone number it used to be when businesses split. If this number was highly publicized, this is what the public used to contact me. Now it's like who owns the the URL of the website? Mm-hmm. So I mean, because that has value, and a lot of times we don't think about the value of IP. So yeah. definitely having those agreements in place in terms of dissolution. And thirdly, just again, the exit strategy is not just selling your business, mm-hmm. bankruptcy, reorganization, a divorce, all those different things that may cause you to exit or pivot from that business. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned IP, and I know that you're not necessarily a trademark or a patent attorney, but what value does IP have in a business? And IP being, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, intellectual property. I tell folks all the time, if I had one asset in my state, and that was, you know, somebody said, just pick one, Cherie, I would own Michael Jordan's interest in the Air Jordan logo. Yep. That is a billion dollar asset. I mean, okay. if he had nothing else, none of his real estate holdings or business interests, that is mm -hmm. a billion dollar asset. Mm -hmm. So a mistake that I see people make sometimes, they'll come to me and they'll, they're saying, hey, I'm selling my business. Yeah. It doesn't always mean they're selling their business. Sometimes they're selling the building and mm -hmm. somebody's operate a similar business in the building. So we start talking. Well, yes, the location has value. Are they reusing the name, the phone number? Um, are you transferring your vendors to them? Mm -hmm. Are they taking over your books? Do you have any deposits that you're transferring? Is there anything in escrow? So those are just like, you start talking about IP as well, or a restaurant. Um, the assets are the real estate, mm -hmm. which is the business that is housed in. What if you have a proprietary um, product? There's one barbecue place that I go to, and they have their own sauce and other things. Yeah. Well, that helps value. You know, is there a patent associated with that? If you're talking about a chain, or if it's a franchise, are you taking over the franchise agreement? Mm -hmm. So now you have IP issues, you have real estate assets there, the personal property. Are you keeping the cash register, the chairs, the table? So you have all those things. And he's just thinking, well, I was still in the building because I'm retired. Yeah. It's so much more. So those yeah. are things often overlooked when you have multiple assets inside of one transaction. Yeah. Well, and owning intellectual property is just so, so in, in incredibly important. Like um, I own my, my trademarks and those trademarks are valuable to the company because, you know, the company, whether I, you know, ever sell it or not, that, that intellectual property that that's sold with it, that has so much value in owning a trademark or owning a patent, you know, in what you do and then being able to license that out, that that's extremely valuable. And Chick-fil-A comes to mind. Yeah. No matter which Chick-fil-A you go to anywhere in the world, you expect a certain level of customer experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's associated with the name. Yeah. You know, if the name was different, I wouldn't expect that same experience. But because of the goodwill and the value in the name, the I mean, that's so much more than any real estate or real property that they have. It's just that goodwill with the name, knowing you're mm -hmm. going to get this type of experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I know when people think of assets, they think of, you know, buildings and tables and chairs and, you know, physical things, but the intellectual property and the brand and, you know, just the 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 overall perspective of a brand carries so much value. And you mentioned something that's really important to note as well with intellectual property. Okay, it's great to identify that you have it and to get trademarks, but you have to police it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you don't police it, you can lose it. Yep. You can lose it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's really big and it's part of the risk management portion of asset protection. Yep, yeah, we're in the process of that right now. Um, so yeah, I, I do understand that. There's a lot of value in just, you know, protecting that that intellectual property that you have. You have to protect it. 
So, so yes. what, what other um, words of advice would, would you give to an entrepreneur who, who has been in business for a long time, who, you know, has focused on just their job, you know, whether again, it's, you know, a small business owner, I own a jewelry store, I own, um, what, what would you say put in place right now? You know, you've been in business for a while, you're not just starting out, what would you say, do this tomorrow? Connect your team. If you've been in business, you should have the different people working with you that you need to be to continue to be successful. Mm -hmm. Because if you've been in business for any period of time, there is a certain level of success you've experienced. Mm -hmm. And so when you put that team together, get some initial feedback from them on how you can be better. Yeah. Because you know, you've been making decisions about your business up until this point in a silo mm -hmm. and your service providers have been doing that in a silo so anyone who's already in business just get your team together and get them to advise you on next steps yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your team has so much, you know, because they can see things that you can't necessarily see, right? They see a different level of, of you know, the the service, the product, the store, the business. And so, yeah, there's so much value in just talking with your team. Absolutely. Definitely. So um, I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit. So as women, we give our power away all the time, you know, when it, whether it's something simple, like, you know, just taking criticism that's not deserved or giving someone else credit for our work or whatever that might look like. Can you tell me about a time that you gave your power away and then another time where you stepped into your power? Okay. So, and this is right before um, I started my first business. Mm. I was working, I was really young. I was still 21 around the time. Um, okay. And I was actually the director of communications for a nonprofit. And the executive director, you know, I loved to toot his own horn about how smart he was. And that's fine. You know, you are an intelligent guy. Yeah. But he was very intentional about letting everyone else around him know that you should be seen and not heard. Mm. He discouraged input, um, especially questions that may make it seem like he wasn't the smartest person in the world. Wow. So, yeah, part of my desire to start my own business was to kind of get from, you know, get out of that culture. Mm -hmm. So I just remember during that time, I had all these ideas and um, I wanted to share and do things. And I just kind of felt stifled. I mm -hmm. thought I had more to do and more to give. So that's when I gave my power away. And I really think that starting my first business, and y'all, I did it. I told you with a handshake, but also without a safety net. All mm. this stuff that, you know, advising people to do, these are things I did not do. Right. Um, I did not have the six months of savings. I did not have an inventory of assets, but I did have a mortgage and a car note. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, there were some really lean months until my business kind of topped off and I was profitable. But um, I think starting my own business and doing all of the things that I was passionate about and, you know, being not only the owner and the operator, because they're different. You can be a business owner, yep. but you're not operating in the business. I right. was doing both. So um, I believe I took my power back with starting that first company. Yeah. Investing in yourself and believing yes. in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So what advice would you give to 18-year-old you? And this is, before COVID, I would not have given this advice to people, but look for alternative 
education options. Mm. Growing up, yeah, growing up, I was told, you know, finish high school. And then I was yeah. told, go to college. Then I was told to be successful, you got to get a master's degree. And even though I appreciate the formal education that I have, it's great. Mm. Um, looking back, I don't think that I'd even be an attorney. Mm. I would, yeah, literally, I would be a business consultant who would be licensed or well-versed with real estate and insurance. Now, I am a licensed real estate agent and real, I mean, real estate and insurance agent. And I really don't use that a lot. It's more to keep me up to date on what's going on so that I can advise my clients. But I don't know that I would have taken so much formal education. I would have been on teams like I am now, but in a different way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting because you're right. I mean, there's so much in, that you can do without having to go and invest all the money into the formal education, because that's what people, that that's one of the threats is that it's so expensive now. And so, you know, when you're, when you're coming out of college, 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars in debt, it takes a lot to, to kind of make that up in your career. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in trade schools and alternative education. And, and I'm hoping that that becomes a, a bigger factor now that college is so expensive. Well, and part of it is too, and I'm not going to give you my age, but <laughs> um, when I was in high school, we didn't really have the internet, you know, we didn't mm-hmm. have email. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. everything's at your fingertips. Oh yeah. And, you know, the advice probably would have been different if we had those tools. I remember being in college, maybe my sophomore year, and that was my first time sending an email, literally mm-hmm. on email, how to email. So now you have all these coaches and condensed programs and, you know, you play big faster and mm-hmm. you can move at a swifter pace without having formal education because most of the people that are teaching you these things out of a textbook, they haven't lived these things in real life. That's so, so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And that, you know, I look at that all the time when, when I have business consultants or somebody come to me and say, Hey, I'd love to, you know, teach you how to run your business more effectively. And I'm like, well, what is your background? Well, you know, I have an MBA from whatever prestigious school. Did you ever start a business? No, but you know, I've learned out of textbooks. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. <clears throat> Yeah, getting into the trenches and doing the work is how you learn. And um that's it's it goes a long way. I can I can pick up a book too, but you know, getting somebody who's who has that experience like you have, like I have, you know, who've lived it, that's who I want to hear from. That's who I want to learn from because I I find value in their experiences, not necessarily what they've read in a textbook. Yeah, and then the thing is, too, I'm still a practicing attorney. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have Mississippi-based clients, and that education is better than law school because mm-hmm. I get people that come in, and I'm like, how did y'all mess this up? Yeah. And they're, great. they're great people. You know, yeah. they're just running their business, but mm-hmm. they did not have a proper foundation. So I get to work out so many amazing things with these families and partners and stuff, and it helps me with my coaching. Yeah. So you know, it informs what I do and what not to do for other clients. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned a word and and I love this word foundation because when I, um, you know, I'm just trucking along in my own business and I've owned a couple different businesses over 20 years. And so, you know, I kind of know the, the basic foundational things to start a business. Well, 
um, during the pandemic, I, my whole business was shut down. My industry was shut down. And so I took some time and, and started doing some other things that I was passionate about. So I started, um, one of the opportunities that I had was to read grant applications for one of the big grants that was out there. And I started reading through these applications and it was only a $500 grant. So, I mean, this was not like, it's not a life-changing grant. It's, but it was something, right? And so I'm reading the entrepreneur's grant applications and it just really was a light bulb moment for me of how few entrepreneurs really had a foundation for their business enough to sustain them through a pandemic or sustain them through a major, um, you know, catastrophe. So, um, it was eye-opening. And, and for me, um, that's after that is when I started thinking about coaching and podcasting and, you know, just helping entrepreneurs understand how important these foundational things are when you're, when you're running a business, because I tell them all the time, you can't build a castle on sand. You have to be able to have a nice solid foundation and then you can scale up, but you can't scale something if you don't have a solid foundation. Well, and a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, because they are great at building widgets, mm -hmm. they may leave a full-time job to start a business. But what they've done is that they've created another job. Mm -hmm. So if you have a service-based business, you've gone from working 40 to 50 hours for someone else to working, you know, 60 to 80 hours for yourself because you don't have that foundation and you just created another job. Right. So Part of what I share with my coaching program is how to transition you from mm -hmm. operator to business owner, how to separate ownership from management, because mm -hmm. it makes a huge difference in your ability to scale. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, so much truth in that. So, so one last question. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. I think that you've added so much value to, to our listeners and, and their day. So thank you for that. Um, but one last question that I have for you is what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew the value of networking and community. Mm. Because when you have like-minded people who elevate your thought, you elevate. And mm -hmm. so it's great. I have friends that I grew up with. We're still close. We talk on a regular basis. But our focus may be, may be different professionally. Mm -hmm. So as you get more like-minded people who are doing the things that you're doing or the things that you would like to do, just the value of that community networking and also mentorship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yourself, um, I would say definitely consider those things. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciated every bit of advice that you've given to us and our entrepreneurs and our, our, our listeners. So again, um, Cherie Prince or Pierce, Prince, I got him, stumbling over my words. Cherie Prince, um, how can people find you? The best way to reach me, if you'd like just a conversation, you can reach me on LinkedIn. And okay. um, my handle is at Cherie Speaks Plural. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a Facebook group. We offer oh, good. this amazing information for free. People are raising their hands and helping each other. And I love it. I really mm -hmm. do. Um, and that is small business owners, entrepreneurs, and solopreneurs in Facebook. So we'd love to have you there. That's the quickest way to get to me. Okay. And I'd love to be a resource for you. 
Absolutely. And just so you guys know too, you can always find Sheree L. Prince on our Facebook or excuse me, on our Facebook, our LinkedIn and our prettypowerfulpodcast.com. So um, we'll make sure that she has all of her links on there as well. So you can reach out to her um, and connect with her as well. So thank you so much, Sheree. I've really enjoyed our conversation and um, I look forward to watching all the the success that you have um, moving forward. Thank you for for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.